welcome to Coming Out the Pod with me, Ed Connell, the podcast where members of the LGBTQ community share their coming out stories with me. This week's guest is Rob Graham, who I met over a decade ago through the world of LGBT football. Rob talked about coming out age 16, but it sounds as though the signs are there from an even earlier age. At uh, the 1990 sort of World Cup, uh, when I was I was nine then, and that's when I first got into football. And I remember going, Gary Lineker has got really nice shiny thighs, um, and I didn't understand why. Rob talks about how his coming out to his best friend and mum didn't quite go as he imagined it would, and so in turn hoped that he'd be able to be straight. Rob talked about topics that would be familiar to regular listeners to the podcast growing up with feelings of isolation, not receiving any help about his sexuality at school, and a lack of LGBT representation in the media. As has happened with some of my other guests, we talked about other topics, including Rob's difficulties with alcohol. I'm very proud of Rob talking so honestly about this subject and how his partner helped him realise that things needed to be addressed. If you have any issues with alcohol, then I'll put some links on the website about where you can get help. Please be aware that this podcast contains some bad language and themes of an adult nature. So I'd like to introduce my uh, next guest, who is Rob Graham. Um, Rob and I have known each other, I think, Rob, probably for about 15 years, maybe a bit longer. It must be about 15 years, I'm guessing, yeah. Um, I... I, I, in my mind, it was sort of late two thousands when first first bumped into you, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know that the football LGBT football club that I was involved in, London Titans. I think they recently had, I think it was their fifteenth anniversary. So I was sort of involved in sort of the LGBT football scene from about then, and it would have probably been. I thought, yeah, maybe a couple of years after that, that we would have encountered the team that you were playing for at the time. I think so, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the LGBT football team is a massive part of my coming out story, but I, I played for this the team in Upwind, Yorkshire, um, and joined in 2002. Um, I'm, I remember talking to you, I think, for the first time. I think it must have been in a bar up in Leeds. It must have been before a, a match. So it must have been the first time you guys came up. So I can't pinpoint it exactly. So if you're saying 15 years, that kind of rings true. Yeah. And if, I, if, if I was to put a, you know, a, a dart in the wall, and I was I was thinking two thousand and eight ish, but yeah, and it all gets a bit blurred. You were, you were playing for Yorkshire Terriers, weren't you at the time? That's right. Yeah, and you and you were involved with them for for a long time until I think um, I think you stepped down a couple of years ago from your involvement. Have I got have I got that right? Yes, I mean I've retired more times than Frank Sinatra, um, but I yeah I stepped down sort of as as chair and and part of the committee work a few years back and then I did come in for one sort of additional year just to help them out and help them because we had a tournament in Paris in 2018 so I was heavily involved in that and then after that that's when I stepped back but I still turn up to play every so often and drag my drag my feet around um, when I can because I enjoy it and it's it's a bit of exercise but yeah, the running of the club and everything. I, I sort of think I've, I've done my time with, with 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 that side of it now. But you know, it's fantastic. You know, fifteen, sixteen years with it. And if I've got it right, you turned forty this year. Is that correct? I did yes, yeah. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> um, I did. I turned forty back in July. 
the height of uh, COVID. Yeah, not not a time to be celebrating a significant birthday, really. It, to be fair, I, I quite enjoyed it because I've never been one for birthdays and, and all of this. So I didn't have to arrange anything. You know, my excuses were made. I just couldn't. So it was okay. I had a nice, nice sort of birthday at home with friends and, and close friends and family. But, but, but no, I'd, I'd rather it just like it's past. But I have sort of said, it don't really count this year. So I'm, I'm still saying I'm late 30s, if anything. <laughs> um, I always ask guests, as you know, because I know you've listened to some of the podcasts, uh, about their first sense of when they thought they might be gay or that they felt a sense of otherness or something of that kind. Can you remember looking back, Rob, as to when that was? Yeah, well, I remember being asked. I'm, I'm, I mean, I must have been asked loads of times. And I always say I could pinpoint it or could define it when I was probably 13, 14. I think that's when I knew, ah, that's what these feelings are, is you, you probably may be gay. Um, and then I've, I've been able to sort of like reference back to times in the past when I thought, you, you know, there were feelings there that I just didn't understand. Um, I remember joking, and there's people I don't know, might listen, I've said before, uh, the 1990 sort of World Cup, uh, when I was I was nine then, and that's when I first got into football. And I remember going, Gary Lineker has got really nice shiny thighs, <laughs> um, and I didn't understand why <laughs> I, um, I I was drawn and thought nothing of it because there was no real sexual thoughts back then. But I remember looking back then, oh yeah. <laughs> and then there were probably like I suppose people at school and things like that that you looked up to or you you know you like being around more than perhaps others. Um but yeah, it wasn't until sort of 13, 14 when, you know, you started going through puberty and all this kind of stuff, I suppose, that I, I could put a label on it. And what, what was your reaction when you kind of were beginning to think that you might be gay, sort of age thirteen? How how did that feel back then? Oh, it was horrifying. Um, the idea of being different, I suppose, and, and standing out um, and not being like my friends. Um, at that time, I mean, people talk about there's not been really sort of gay icons or people they could look up to. And I can't think of anyone in my in my childhood um, and up to then, really, apart Julian Clary, might be one person and things like that who, you know, flamboyant characters and, and stuff who you think, oh, that's what a gay person should look like. There was certainly, you know, there was no talk of it in my family. None of my relatives or friends of relatives or anyone like that um, was was LGBT or, or, or anything other than, you know, pure heterosexual. And that's what was expected, really. It just wasn't even something in, in our life. Um, and it wasn't discussed at school. And again, it's not, I suppose, not until a lot later when you hear about Section 28, wasn't it, and things like that, when you realise that perhaps teachers weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, and I, rem- I remember, and it's, it's one of those funny things that must still, it sticks with you, because I was in at junior school and we must have done like some basic kind of sex education thing when we were about 10. And it was my junior school teacher, I remember saying sort of at the time, but I felt she was saying it to me, um, sort of saying, sometimes boys look up to and respect other boys. Um, and that's okay as well. And that was it. It was left at that. 
So I didn't really think anything of it then. And it's only looking back, I was going, was she kind of in a roundabout way that's not going to get me into trouble saying that, you know, gay relationships and things like that aren't bad. Um, but where I grew up, so I grew up in a town called Hetmanwike, which is in between Huddersfield, Leeds and Bradford, a bit small, working class, industrial town, I suppose. Very stereotypical sort of northern town, I guess. It just wasn't. It just went on the radar. Did you know anybody that was gay or did anybody gay that sort of lived in the sort of village where you lived or anything like that? No one. Honestly, I didn't know anybody at all. And even now, to this day, I don't really know anyone that, that sort of came from my town. And statistically, there must be. But I know my same, even my school, of all the people there, there's one other person in my year of about 120 people that I know of. Um, that's come out as, as gay and he lives in Germany um, you know and, and if it wasn't for say Facebook and things late, later in years um, I've never known so there must be some there must be but you know so I, I always felt incredibly different and isolated and were you I mean I obviously know you're very keen on football were you a sort of sporty kid as well yeah as much as everyone else because that's that's what we, we did growing up and, and I enjoyed football I was never a massive football fan, I don't suppose. I always enjoyed playing it more than others, but that's what we did, you know. So my friends, we, we played football and at playtime at school and there was the football pitch at the bottom of the road. And, you know, I spent most of my youth, I suppose, playing football. Um, and then, you know, whatever, football was the predominant thing, sometimes cricket and bits and pieces like that. Um, and I was always very good at fitting in. I would say, you know, there was it wasn't even a question. Um, you know, I, I but I did, you know, I also did I was a bit of a geek as well. And, you know, I do the odd bits of amateur dramatics and things like that, but not very well. Um, I always tell that, you know, there was a story that I think at school we um, were putting on a play, well, well, putting on the musical Oliver, and I was gonna try out to be Fagin. Um, but ended up in the pit orchestra. That's how <laughs> That's how good my amateur dramatics was. I knew then I was never going to make it on the stage. So you kind of recognise when you're sort of about 13 that, that you are probably gay. How, how long was it until you shared that information with anybody else? Uh, so it's probably two years, I would say, before I, I started tiptoeing out and then tiptoeing back in. Um, so, yeah, I think I was 16 and I first, I told, I told my, my best mate at the time, um, who didn't take it well. Was that, was that a boy or a girl? That's it, it was a boy. Yeah, he lived, lived at the bottom of my street and I must have been planning it for, I don't know, a week or two. And you, you, you plan how this is, I suppose, going to go in your head, don't you, the full conversation. Um, and then it, it just didn't, I, you know, I was pretty much told. I can't remember exactly what it was, but in my mind, it was disgusting. Uh, how can you tell me that? Um, and I ran home and I just cried. You know, it's not what I... It's just not what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting or hoping for a, oh, that's fine, sort of thing. Um, and in later years, you know, I, 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 I don't want to say forgive him. I don't know if there's anything to forgive necessarily, but, you know, I couldn't understand his position. He wasn't expecting this sort of revelation that I'd been, you know, I just lumped on him um, and been planning for ages. 
but yeah, that that sort of put me back in, you know, my little shell for a while. I'm just going to hide here and pray that it it goes away. Did did he tell anybody else or or, or not? I don't, you know, I don't think he did. I, I really don't think he did, he did, because um, that was what I was terrified about. Oh, you know, tell people at school, and you know, I'll, I'll just be crucified. We had a small falling out, I suppose, for a while. It was a bit sour. Uh, I think I could look him in the eye, and I don't think he could look me in the eye. Um, but no, he, he, he didn't. To be to be fair, I, I don't think he told anyone. If he did, then I never found out. So I'd, I'd, I'd be amazed. Um, but yeah, after, after that, I um, it was all yeah, just just a mess of tiptoeing in and out. I remember there was back in the day because we were still pre-internet, um, and there's I know there's London Gay Switchboard or there was, and there was some sort of Yorkshire equivalent, I think, um, for one night a week. And I remember my mum used to go out. I think I can't remember why she must have gone out on a Thursday, and I'd ring on a Thursday evening to try and get some advice. And they had a bit of a youth group uh, on a Tuesday. Uh, so I was going to, I was going to go along to that. So that was my, my next plan when I built up the courage uh, to, to go there, to travel the bus to the, the bright lights of Huddersfield. And, and did you, did you actually go to that youth group? Yeah. Um, I did. Yeah. I went, went along one, one day and I was absolutely, dreading it I suppose but at the same time exhilarated um and I went along and I was met by two lovely ladies and sat in this room and we painted some like pots and then I think we watched uh, a beautiful thing yeah and I sat there going I want to talk to someone someone I want to talk to someone and it was just they were very nice but Again, I was 16 and I think they were sort of more college kids that was there. No one really wanted to talk to me. Um, little, you know, just specky, greasy, spotty, scared little thing in the corner and, and, and just went home after that. I remember they were all going to go to, I think, to a pub, but I, I couldn't do that. I was going to have to get the bus home. So they came and sat with me in the bus station for a while. Um, and I remember getting home... Um, and this is, yeah, I remember telling my mum, um, I've been to this thing, I don't know why I did it. My mum was in the, in the bathroom at the time and told her, I've been to this gay youth group. And I just got told never go back there again. Ah, right. So, and I think I must have been building up my courage all the way on, on the bus. And I not learned my lesson, my friend, I probably dropped this bombshell. Um, and again, not quite sure what to do, but I had to get it out. And I thought, well, I've done this step. Um, and I didn't really find what I was looking for at this youth group, but I've done it now. Um, but yeah, it didn't go down. One bad, there was no shouting out. It was nothing like that. I wasn't chucked out. It was not dramatic. It was just, she wasn't expecting it. And I think a lot of worry. So I just went, oh no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gay. I'm not, I'm not. I went and I'm, I'm not gay. Uh, I was just curious. And then went back into Michelle again, like just like before, really. Who else was living at home with you at the time that you sort of made that revelation to mum? Yeah, so at the time it was just myself. So there's me, my mum, and then my dad had moved out when my dad divorced a couple of years before, um, and my younger brother. So he's he's three years younger than me. So I was I was only sixteen. I think of it now, and I think 
I'm probably quite maybe quite brave. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I, I think that's very brave. I mean, you hear stories about people that age coming out now, but that's in a very different environment where there's sort of lots of positivity on the TV about gay people and in the media, and there's so lots of support out there on, on the internet. But to do it when you were doing it, which would have been well, 1996, age yeah. only sort of 16. That I mean, that that was very brave. It was. I'm. I look back now and can, can say, you know, actually doing it. But I, I just had to at the time. I think find myself in that sort of that hippieish phrase, um, or to be able to understand it, or to find my tribe. Um, and one of the things I found for a long time was, like I said, there just there was no one around growing up. And when I went to the youth group there, I just, I'm not these people. I just don't feel like I, I, I fit in and, and I don't want to be painting pottery. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to someone say, it's okay, you found us. Um, and again, you know, people were a little bit more effeminate than perhaps I was at the time and ever dared to be, I suppose. And, and I just thought, I'm, I'm not you. Um, and it was much easier to just hide and, and go, well, it's a phase, it's a phase, it's a phase, and get through it. But, you know, eventually you come to terms. But like I said, being being brave, I hear about children coming out at school now and things. You know, that just was never really. To me, it's brilliant. And I'm, I'm chuffed a bit for those kids that could do it. But I think for, for myself and you, um, when you were coming out and things, you know, it, it took immense courage and, and self-will, really. Yeah. So you've you've sort of had two attempts at sort of coming out. Neither of them have gone particularly well. Um, what what path did your sort of journey take after that? Um, the internet arrived. Um, I suppose that you know that that was you know liberating in a way. Um, I started to get more courage when I because there was a time I remember going if I could take if there was a pill I would pay any money to take this pill to make me straight. And in my mind, being straight was being normal, which I don't agree with now at all, but that's what it was. And being normal was being happy. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose, I mean, it was a few years. I I kind of tried to sort of dip in and out with, with people, still sort of like A-levels and college and things like that. But it was just always, I just always heard the, the bad things. Um, I was thinking earlier, stuff, I, I did psychology at college. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, quite a liberal class. And we we're talking about um, sexuality there. And, and a friend of mine, who obviously didn't know about me, um, I remember saying very clearly that it's a disease. And if there isn't a cure, then they should be put down. And just wanting to die inside. You know, you just, I just thought there's not a chance I'm coming out while I'm at school. I just can't. Um, so I just hid it away and I went to university. Um, but I stayed, you know, I stayed at home while at university, which, you know, in tech pros and cons, but in hindsight, I probably could have experimented more, but I, I just didn't want to. Um, but I decided one night right I'm gonna to have to face facts and do something I remember getting um again I think when we were going on, on holiday and I can't think where my, my younger brother was but I decided I was going to get on a train to Leeds um because there was a night out in Leeds called Poptastic 
that I'd heard about and it was indie music and stuff and I liked indie music. So I think I tried to go to another bar once. But I was out with some friends in an, on a night in Leeds because we discovered going out. And I remember sneaking away from my group of friends to try and find a gay bar on my own. Everyone's a bit drunk and obviously I was then. So if I sneak away and pretend I've gone home, I'll be able to find this bar. And I think I did. I snuck in once and I was like, I don't like this. Don't like this at all. I'm terrified. And went back. I went back to heaven and hell or some other awful club. And no one even knew I'd gone. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah. that's my dabble. <laughs> what, what, was so scary, what was so scary about going to the, the gay bar when you turned up there? I had what to do. Everyone suddenly looked at you. Um... And I'm there sort of thinking, well, I'm going to drink a pint. <laughs> like that. And I just have, have no one to talk to. I don't know what to do. All these eyes suddenly swoon in and it were, it was um, Queen's Court in Leeds, I think. And I just, I, I don't get these people. And obviously everyone else is drunk as well and a bit more flamboyant and a bit as people get. And it was, I was out of my depth. But um, yeah, so the time on my own when I plucked up my courage again, I thought I'll go to Poptastic, um, and I'll yeah, I'll, I'll see what see what it's like, and I'm a bit more prepared. I made a plan, um, and I'll do this, and I'll get the last train home. And again, no one need know anything ever happened. And how did that go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So this is so this is when I had my first. Oh God! I hope my parents don't listen to it. <laughs> so I went into Poptastic and much like before I'm like and I can remember it so vividly I can remember the first song playing it was um, Bird of Prey by Fatboy Slim as I walked in and, and all this and it had all camouflage nets up and things like what's going on um, and I went and got my standard pint because you know puffs drink wine and stuff you know I'm having a pint and sort of stood there Um surveying the scene and some guy came up to me and just started kissing me no real no hellos nothing like that and I was in a complete state of shock um, and then hands started slipping down my trousers and well you can probably imagine the rest um, and I, I remember it happening and, and thinking I don't know what to do and I can't get away uh, and still gripping a pint in one hand and just praying for, sort of for it to end. And eventually it did. Um, and he went, oh, do you, do you fancy another drink? And, yeah, yes, please. Um, and I ran off to the toilet and I got a pat on the shoulder from a bouncer saying, I've heard what you've been doing and if I catch you doing it, you're out. And I just, I panicked. I ran, there was a fire exit right by the toilets and I just ran up the road. Absolutely uh, it was just uh, horrible. But then I was about I came back the next week. And again, it's it's only sort of going through things and thinking, going, because I've always I've told that story to loads as being a really funny story. And then I thought, were you actually molested? Oh, we you know, I had no real say in this. I've I've, I've never seen this man be before or since. Don't know his name. Um but yeah, so that was my first experience of a gay night out really but one of the nice things that came out of it was I told a friend who was brilliant with me someone that I worked with at the time I was working part-time at a cinema 
and they couldn't have been better. And just accepting. And I remember him sort of saying, if you ever want to go there again, let me know and I'll take you and I'll pick you up, which is wonderful. So out of that rubbishy experience, you know, it it did give me that sort of courage to tell someone, I guess. Um, But uh, yeah, it it was sort of, that that was my first experience in, in, in Leeds. (laughs) <laughs> and did you I mean you've obviously had that initial conversation with your mum where you've kind of then gone back and retracted it all how much later on was it if at all that you, you went back and told her that in fact you were actually gay 2001 I think it was so what's that five year um, it would have been yeah I think two, back, back 2001 um, and I, I can even remember because you Queer as folk will have been seminal to you, I suppose, like it was for, for me and a lot of people. Yeah. And I remember it coming on on Channel 4, it must have been. And what was that, 99? Yeah. And my mum saying, do you want to watch this? No. And I was absolutely adamant, I don't want to watch this. Why would I? Um, and I know some of my friends did, because they were going, oh, it's really funny. But I thought, if I watch that, then I'm outing myself, so I wouldn't. But in 2001, I had got talking to a guy um, on Yahoo Chat. <laughs> which is, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, which was basically um, an internet chat uh, app, I suppose, like a sort of, a, a sort of precursor to, to modern day WhatsApp, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it was, yeah, I, even I suppose a precursor to, was it Facebook and stuff? It was, yeah. there was chat rooms and they were themed and there was a gay chat room which I could go on to from the safety of my bedroom and talk anonymously. And I got talking to this random person who lived up in um, in Hartlepool. Um, and we chat every day, really, and just 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 made each other laugh. And I realised I started getting feelings. You know, we, I think we sort of had a regular sort of time, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you at 2.30, let's say. I'm being really looking forward to chatting to this person. And I never, I don't think I even really knew what he looked like at this point. But knew all about him and just got on. And we, we arranged to um, to meet. I was going to come up to to Hartlepool. So I did that in, again, another secret trip away. I was always lying. Um, but I went up to Hartlepool and I met him. Um, and it was all incredibly awkward. Um, but we got on really well. And I came home and I was going, I'm in love, I'm in love. And told my mum then, again, um, and she was, you know, kind of accepting of, you know, this is this is the situation. She still was never sure. I think I think she always worried about what was best and, you know, obviously hear all the things. And I remember I remember one of the questions going, well, what about HIV? Oh, good point, mum, I've forgotten about that, you know. <laughs> I won't be. But I hadn't, I'd, I'd fallen in love with this person or I thought I had. Um, so that was that because you know it was all very exciting. So I, I told her again then, but yeah, it was a good five years. And and what about your brother? What what stage did you tell him, or what stage did he find out? My brother is tech savvy and knows what temporary internet files are. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Oh dear. <laughs> um, but he was he was always he was always fine. He, I remember him just sort of going, "What's what's this?" <laughs> And I, so I, I, I couldn't really. I think at first I tried to sort of hide it. I'm going, oh, I must have clicked on the wrong thing. It was nothing to do with me. But he's not daft. Um, and we did share a bedroom at that point. Um, so 
yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of secrets, I suppose. Um, so yeah, he, he was always all right. He really was. I think I think his words were at the time. Oh well, I'm quite surprised about that, but fine. And so does that does that mean there was a period of time when when he knew before you then told your mum the second time? Uh, I think he might have done. I'm trying to put it together. It was it was certainly must have been close together because I was I was, was talking to this guy up in 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 Hartlepool and and looking at other things and. Um, so yeah, it must have been around that. I think I probably went well with my mum. Well, David, my brother, knows or knows something. I've got to, I've got to come clean on it and say it. And it's been five years, and I kept getting asked the question, "Are you caught in?" And all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I hadn't, you know. I used to go out drinking, and, and the thing was to to pull a girl, if you like. But I know I was never in a relationship. It never went any further, and. You know, I think you can only go so far, or seem to do, before you have to start adding to this masquerade. And you know, it was, it was just going to happen. So yeah, it was about twenty-one. But and then she told my dad, I think, that they were divorced. But I never told my dad. Um, but he was always fine as well. Surprisingly, my dad, my dad's never ever even questioned. He's always been, you know, very supportive. Which I'd have thought it'd be the other way around. But no, not at all. And then what's your sort of mum's sort of view now of it all? I mean, is she sort of completely supportive and on board? And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was there must there must have been a time when there's a big swing. So I, I remember even after. So the relationship with the guy in Hartlepool did not last long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I saw someone. I was seeing someone else, and then this time fell properly in love head over heels and that didn't last long either and I remember being just utterly heartbroken and mum saying well why didn't you try a girl um, but then after that I did I, I got in a, a relationship and a lot of the football things started and my life changed I was much happier and I think maybe seeing me happier helped her as well and to the point when I wouldn't say she was well no I, I don't know how to phrase it particularly I'd say she yeah, probably was proud because you know working with people and people would say oh has your, has your Robert got a, a girlfriend? And she'd say, no, but he has got a boyfriend and things like that. Or if someone said a gay slur, she'd say, actually, my son's gay and whatever. So, yeah, she did. And then, you know, it's been, as you pointed out at the beginning, 19 years now. So, um, this, you know, I've been in a couple of relationships since um, and fairly long-term ones. And she's been, yeah, you know, great. And it's been nice being able to bring some... It's been brilliant being able to bring someone home to meet my mum and then sort of extended family as a partner instead of it being, you know, this is Robert's special friend or whatever, you know, some of the phrases that were sort of banded about in the early days. Yeah. So how did you get involved in the sort of LGBT football scene then? The Yeah, the Yorkshire Terriers... Um, Changed my life, I, I suppose. I mean, so we're still back in 2001 to 2002, and I was still feeling very isolated, um, living where I was living. And as I said, I felt like I didn't fit into any particular camp. You know, my, my experience of going out was there was a lot of flamboyance and, um, and arty people and things like that. And I, I it was just never me. Um, and there was, I remember there was, do you remember a programme called, um, they think it's all over? Yeah. 
think it was like a comedy sports quiz. And there was a bit on there and Stonewall and football team were on it. And I thought, well, that's London. There won't be a, a gay football team up here. Um, but I did a quick search and found one. Um, Yorkshire Terriers in the very early days, I suppose. So I emailed them and said, look, I, I, I play football. I was playing for a pub football team at the time, but I'm, I'm gay and I don't really have any gay friends uh, or know anyone. I, can I come along? And I did. Um, and I just, you know, met the best friends I've ever had. And a whole world opened up, really. Um, and, and, you know, more than I could possibly imagine. It, it started off like I just had some friends to go out into Leeds with. You know, we'll meet up and go for a few drinks and, you know, safety numbers almost at the time. But also, you know, this there wasn't even a league at the time. But I got to play football with other people and I was okay. Um, I wasn't the greatest football in the world, but it was by no means the greatest standard. Um, and I, I, I stood out and I started getting attention, which I never had before, really. And it was intoxicating. It was brilliant. But yeah, it, it was literally just... Um, it was actually a Yahoo search again because Google didn't really exist. But um, it was just doing that and going, well, let's let's see what's out there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the sort of your finding football was the exact same experience that I had of finding football because I just didn't know anybody at all that was gay. And um, all of a sudden I was introduced to this sort of world of people that all had this sort of shared interest in football who all... Where they were good fun, liked to go out and enjoy themselves, and it just opened up a whole new world to me. I mean, it was it was I've, I've sort of said so many times it's it's testament testament to that fact is the fact that I've had you know so many people as guests on this podcast have been some way shape yeah. or form connected with LGBT football because it had such a big impact on my life. And 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 you like me were involved for many years, and it was a it was a very sociable scene as well, wasn't it? It was. I mean, in, in, incredibly. I mean. It, it, yeah, I mean, the social side of it, I mean, it was a big argument for a long time as well, you'll remember, Ed, that, you know, is this a social thing or is it a competitive football thing and how do you you, you balance all that? And, you know, I remember myself and my friends at the time, sort of in, in, the, in the mid-2000s, it being a massive sense of pride and, and a boast that we will go out and take other teams out and show them a good time and get as drunk as possible and not get in until five or six and we will be out later than the other team and the next day we will beat them and it was you know it was a really big thing for us and then you know it was it was we drinking was a massive part of that you know we used to I mean people won't believe it now we, we used to do like shots at half time of Sambuca and and drink before a game and, and all this nonsense of, of stuff really um but it, it, it was more about, you know, I suppose making friends and, and everything else that went with that side of it than, than just playing football. But football was sort of, you know, the excuse. It was the catalyst to, to, to go and do stuff. Um, I always remember, and this, this might sum it up, and there's different reasons behind it, that we used to always play football on, on the Sunday. So we could go out all sort of day, Saturday and Saturday night. We'd we'll get a train down to London. That was always the, the prime destination. For, for us up north. And then we can go out all Saturday, go out around Soho, go to the Astoria. And then there's a game of football on Sunday, which was kind of get in the way of drinking on the train on the way back. And we'd all have Monday off. <laughs> and people used to say, well, why don't you play football on the Saturday when you're not hungover? Well, 
were going out. And there was the excuse that, well, that's when football matches are on, so people might want to watch the football. But it, it wasn't. It was, you know, about going out and getting drunk. Um, or just, just having a really good time. Um, and when I joined, I don't know if it was just a perfect storm. There were a lot of people that kind of came together at the right time um, of, you know, that were out, I suppose, at the same sort of time or coming out. So it was all very exciting and new. Um, the league started growing, so there was always a new destination. You know, we we go to Leicester and then, you know, London, Brighton. All of a sudden there was this Birmingham, Manchester, Cardiff. It just became, as you know, massive and massive. And like, so there's a new town and new people to talk to. It was a pretty amazing time. And like you say, we used to um, look forward to our trips up to, to Leeds because we always knew that was going to be a sort of a very big night out with, with you guys the night before the game. Yeah, and I think we, we, we did pride ourselves on it. You know, it was for a long time a, sen- a sort of sense of shame that if we didn't show another team a good night out, then we'd let them down. Um, and then teams started going to bed early. <laughs> why, why are you doing that? Talking about the, sort of the, the, that sort of extreme sort of social side of things, I mean, did you think then or appreciate then that, that alcohol was sort of a problem or, or, or is that something which has come later on? Um, yeah, I mean, later on in my life, alcohol's become an, an issue. Um, it certainly wasn't at the time. Uh, I never thought it, it, it was at all. It was, it was what we did. Um, and, if, you know, if that's what everyone else was doing. And as I sort of mentioned right at the beginning, I always just wanted to fit in. And I suddenly found myself in a position where, for me, who never felt I did fit in, as I mentioned, it suddenly felt like the centre of the absolute world. Um, and everyone around me was drinking and buying drinks and buying me drinks. Um, and it made me more confident. I could go out and just talk to people. I could go out and sing karaoke um, without all the fear and everything that I used to have um, before. Um, and it's, it's only, it's again, something that probably hit me when I was a bit younger, but I always thought, well, it's, it's what will happen to other people. It will happen to me. There's um, in Queer as Folk, which I mentioned, there's a line in that which one of them says, because they're, they're getting to 29, pushing 30, so they're thinking how old they are and thinking about their lives. They're going, we never stop. We'll keep going out drinking and keep going out clubbing because there's nothing to stop us. So it's all we ever do. And it, that hit me of going, this is so true, sort of on the, on the gay scene and things. And I remember looking at people that's much older than me. <laughs> but, you know, in the 50s or 60s or even older, I think, they're still, why are they in a bar stood there? You know, all my friends are starting to, my friends from back home and things, get married. You know, I'm going to weddings now around the ages of 30. A few years later, it was going to christenings and things like that. Everyone's having babies and settling down. They weren't going out with the friends, drinking, on a Wednesday night, on a Thursday night, and a Friday night, just because that's what they'd always done and there was nothing to stop them. And yeah, it did. And I always thought, well, I'll, I'll never get that. You know, that's, that's, I'm, I'm far too clever for that. I'll find myself in a relationship and, and everything will change. But it, it didn't. And when it did, I resented it because I still wanted to go out with my mates. I didn't want to be cooped up and watch The Apprentice. I wanted to, you know, go out and do what I was always doing because that's I, I crave that sort of buzz. But then, you know, it takes you drinking more or the hangovers 
the harder. So you, suddenly I was thinking, well, I need to get home and have another drink or something to get over that hangover. And I realised I'd fallen into this kind of spiral that I never thought I would. Um, but I, you know, and I don't know what the scene is like now with, with all the lockdown and stuff, but you know, it seemed like that was the kind of thing that would just go on forever. And I remember talking to a lad that he was, I was the eldest statesman, I suppose, and he was young and new out. And he was talking, asking for me for advice. And I was saying at the time, don't get sucked in because you're new and you're young and people flock around and show you this world that you probably never thought was, was, was possible. Um, and, you know, talk to people a, a bit more sensible and, and just don't get carried away with all that hype. But he did, I would say. Like I've seen tens and hundreds of other people that have and probably still have because, you know, it's glittering and exciting. But I think it is just like I said, alcohol fuel and drug fuel as well. You know, all that sort of stuff. I've never been one for party drugs, that kind of thing. You know, I, I, I miss that, I think. Um, I don't even know if it was around then, but I look and think I could have done. It could have been so easy to sort of fall into that. And, and definitely without me having the football to sort of fall back on and give that sort of stability. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't until the last sort of few years that I sort of pulled myself out of it, um, thinking, and you can't go on this way. And was, that, was that easy to do? No. It, I sort of did. I, I moved out. I was living in Leeds City Centre for a long time. Then I moved out Leeds City Centre and, and, and live where I do now, which is South Leeds, which is... It's easy enough to get into Leeds, but it's harder. Um, talking to you, living in London, it's probably probably nothing, but it's like two stops on the train, so that's the other end of the world. <laughs> so I, I sort of started having to go out less and then realised I was being invited out less. But I found that I suddenly didn't mind so much because I was drinking on my own and things like that. So it sort of went that way um, where I stopped... I. I stopped going out because I couldn't be bothered in the same way. Um, and I felt I was growing up a little bit and my friends seemed to be going off on their own because I was still wanting to do this, this, uh, this thing. And I found that I was, I mean, I was, I was alone, I was single and I found sort of friend in, in alcohol and a, and, and a bottle. So, and that became my, my, my friend for a while. And it wasn't until it really started getting bad. And I thought you have to do something about this and, and stop and, and stop forever, um, really, um, that I did. And was that a decision you came to by yourself or did, did anybody sort of prompt that or say anything to you that made you think about it? Um, so my partner now uh, has been an absolute lifesaver and put up with an awful lot um, because we, we, we weren't seeing each other, um, but he, he lives you know, nearby really. And I would he'd get a drunken text, let's say, um, late on in the night. And I'm like, can I come over? I'm really struggling. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'd be coming over and I was drunk. And I just, yeah, stunk. And I had to get to work and things the next day. And it was it was him going, you need to sort this out. You can't keep doing this. Um, I wouldn't, and it, it, I was never turned away, thankfully. And and then me just realizing, you know, I, I'm I'm going to work and I'm not doing a very good job here, and I'm I'm struggling to to keep it together, and and I don't want to. I'm going to break someone's trust, 
um, someone who I, I cared about, but I was I was using a little bit, I suppose. Well, a lot I was. Um, so yeah, it was him going. You, you need to end this now, and you, you need to talk to people. And yeah, I eventually did. But yeah, he sort of it didn't come to a, a crisis as such. It didn't come to a head um, quite like that. But it could have done. I was sort of going, look, this is where the writing's on the wall. Um, and I've heard these stories and, and seen what what happens um, to other people that have, have started drinking far too much and when they shouldn't, um, and did. Um, and at the beginning of lockdown, really. So in in March. Uh, which has, has helped and again one of the nice things about the lockdown sort of situation is I didn't have to as you mentioned the 40th birthday I didn't have to have a party and I didn't have to explain things going I, I can't drink because I worry if I do I, I might not stop or what I'll do with it and I'm you know it was getting dangerous really but I shouldn't be 38 39 40 I think getting to that sort of point you know I kept thinking you should have stopped this nonsense at 30, really. And, and aside from your partner, I mean, have you, had, have you sought sort of other professional help or have you been doing it by yourself or? Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've seen professional help. Um, I've actually, um, I am a member of the AA, um, which not a lot of people know. Um, some, some close friends and things, which has been absolutely brilliant and I would recommend it to anyone thinking they're having a problem. Um, even if they, they think they might and they're not sure, have a, have a, have a look. Because it's, it's been one of the greatest things I've, I've done since the Terriers, I suppose. Because it, um, it just helped me realise the problem and, and, and the support that, that was there. And going, you're not, you're not the first person to have done this. Um, don't worry. So, yeah, I, I went down that route. But, um, you know, I, I looked at other things and other sort of services and fought against it for a while. Until it is all when you're not you're not going to beat this silly thing. We're taking a dark turn. Well, as I explained to a podcast guest recently, Rob, where we took a, a similarly dark turn, it would be misleading to give everybody the impression that coming out stories and life after coming out is you know all smooth sailing and happiness because you know the reality is lots of people's coming out stories are tinged with tragedy and sadness and and not everybody once they come out suddenly has this amazing life where everything's so much better um and yeah. so i kind of want the podcast to be representative of the real world rather than just me getting people to sort of tell me how amazing everything is because for a lot of people it's not amazing you only have to listen to as i've done sort of the books of um you know matthew todd or um will young's book uh, my first podcast guest, all people who have had problems with alcohol, addiction of various forms that has in many ways been sort of connected to their sexuality story. Um, that, so that it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not unique to you. It's a, it's, I suspect that your story about your relationship with alcohol will strike a chord with a lot of people that I know listen to I this podcast. I think it possibly will. And uh, is it Matthew Todd's book? Is it? Yeah, so Matthew Todd's book is uh, Straight Jacket. And it's all about, I think the subtitles are Overcoming Society's Legacy of Gay Shame. And, you know, That's he, it. he very eloquently talks about the impact of growing up in the sort of the shame of being gay and how it impacts upon his life. And Will Young, very similar story, talks about, he talks about this, you know, the shame that enveloped him and led to his problems with addiction 
Um, so there, there is this relationship, you know, between sort of people's sexuality story and addiction. So as I say, it's not unique. Um, it's not, and it is the, the, the Matthew Todd book that I, that was the first step, I would say, on, on, on me sort of putting the pieces together and, and figuring things out. And I, I, I read that and a lot about the shame and, and the, the sort of cycle of addiction and things like that. Um, and I remember reading that and thinking, gosh, you know, one, I'm not like all of these people, but I identified with all sorts in it. Um, and that did help. And, you know, it is a really good read. Uh, I don't know about the other, uh, the Will Young book, but, it, you know, it certainly might, might give it a go. Um, Will Young's one's definitely worth a listen because, you know, he, he you know, talks very much about the impact of sort of the shame of growing up gay and, the impact it had upon him. But um, I, I agree with you about Matthew Todd's book. I mean, I know that a lot of people, I say, of sort of your age and above, uh, I've said to them it's, it's essential reading because it really does help you understand the difficult relationship that we had growing up with the concepts being gay. Um, mm. And you forget, I mean, I reread his book recently and you forget some of the sort of stories and headlines that were in the papers about gay people when I was growing up. Yeah, and I, I I can't remember. So there was the AIDS advert, wasn't there, and, and, and things. And I can't remember the first time around. It's only looking back. But I remember, you know, at, at school, and again, junior school, there was a joke about someone, and it, this it's just horrendous. But, like, you'd ask someone a question, you know, what's two plus two? And they say four. And you go, are you positive? And you go, yeah, you're, you're positive. Yeah. Like, you know, a joke about someone being HIV positive. And as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, people laughing at that and not understanding it, the only thing they knew was HIV is bad. Not it's an illness, not it's anything, it's just bad. And if you got it, then you should be laughed at and, and ridiculed. And, you know, I suppose that does get ingrained. Um for me, as I mentioned, the, the sort of stories going from being not really fitting in to suddenly having a world where it was just all-encompassing brilliant and then moving out of that world and finding, well, what do I fill it with? And the only thing I, at the time, had was this, you know, just all this drinking and everything else and th that went with it. And I, I didn't separate the two as well as I should. But, yeah, the Matthew Todd book, yeah, is, you know, fantastic. Well, I always ask Rob, as you know, two questions for my guests. Um, the mm. first is, if you had your opportunity to sort of do your coming out story again, what, if anything, would you do differently? I don't think I'd, I'd do anything differently. And you like, it wouldn't be my story, would it, I suppose? Um, you know, there's things looking back and going, well, I wish that happened quite that way. But, you know, I've only done it differently and it might not have been as as good um i suppose I'll, I'll, one of the last things i could leave it on one of the people i was scared to death most of um of telling was my my granddad you know it was and still is my hero and i was terrified of telling him and i always thought i wish i'd told him earlier in a bit but he found out i was gay somehow i'm guessing my mum must have told him and i remember as i was seeing someone at the time but I was sat around at my granddad's and I was, you know, single and, and straight and normal. And we were talking about cars. And he just, my granddad just went, so what car does Neil drive? And that was it. And it was just, I just knew at the time, clearly knows and it's not a problem. And we just had a conversation. And I said, oh, Neil drives the Red Cavalier or whatever it might have been. Um, and I was thinking, I always thought I wanted to tell my granddad earlier, but I'd have never had that moment 
And it was just, it, it makes me want to cry now. I loved it. So, no, there's, there's, there's nothing, really. I think all, all the pain and the stories, but the adventures as well that went with it, you know, make up who you are now. And the other question I was asked is, what advice, if any, can you give, Rob, to people who are sort of going through their coming out journey and contemplating coming out? Any words of wisdom? Uh, wisdom. It's, it's, you know, it's always stuff that's passed down. And sometimes I hate it because the things sound like a cliche. I was told you have to come out to yourself. And I didn't know what that meant. It doesn't make any sense, but I think it's it's very true. I eventually accepted myself for what and who I was, and the huge sense of relief that was lifted, and the world it opened up. You know, I've got the, the greatest friends in in the world through that. Um, I'm you know I'm not a young person coming out now, and the technology and everything that goes with it. So. I sometimes think, oh, it must be so easy. But it, I don't think it is until you can come out to yourself. Um, and then the other thing um, was that campaign a while ago of going, it gets better. And it and it so does. Um, anything has to be better than living, I think, a lie, particularly when it's a lie to yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, they're my two bits, you know. Come out to yourself and it's your story and your time. And when you do, I promise it might not feel it, but it does get there. Well, all that I need to do is to, to thank you very much, especially for being so candid and honest. Um, and, and as I say, telling a story that I think will um, strike a chord with, with many people, but also, you know, I hope it doesn't sound patronised, but I'm, I'm exceptionally proud that you've kind of shared your story with me and, and the steps you're taking. So for that, I'm deeply grateful. Thank you very much. No, you're more than welcome, and thanks for having me. And it's been, it's been, it's been great fun. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please rate, review, and subscribe, and get in touch with us via Twitter or Instagram or through the website.